Hello, everyone, and welcome to a summer episode of Arthritis at Home. Today, we have Elton Wang, ACES Programs Coordinator, joining us to tell us all about her first experience attending the European Alliance of Associations for Rheumatology, otherwise known as ULARS, annual scientific meeting one of the most important meetings that takes place internationally for arthritis researchers, clinicians, and patient organizations every year. This year, it took place in Milan, Italy, and more than 14,000 people attended, either in person, on site, or virtually. We're going to talk to Ellen about her personal experience, what that was like, as one of those researcher and trainees who's attending, uh, what it meant to her in terms of her own experience living with a type of arthritis. And finally, to follow up on an earlier Arthritis at Home episode, to tell us what it was like to be on the big stage when she presented a paper that Ace uh, was accepted for by UR on the Health Inequities National Survey that we conducted across Canada, and in particular, the sub-analysis that we um, presented in the form of an abstract presentation and Ellen as lead author was, pre was presenting. So Ellen, welcome. Thank you, Kelly. It's great to be back in the interviewee seat. <laughs> and back in Vancouver, um, where ACE is headquartered and uh, a long way, uh, way away from Milan, Italy. But um, why don't you start by sharing uh, with the audience uh, what those first impressions were for you attending a conference or scientific meeting of this scale and size? So Kelly, I would say it's nothing like I've ever experienced before. I think that's a great place to start. Um, when you say 14,000, um, we we think of that number in our head as well, that seems pretty big, right? We just, we just think it seems pretty big. But when you're in the space with that much energy, when you walk up, so the way that the, um, the uh, conference center was set up, you have to walk up about three flights of stairs just to enter through the main doors. The reason being was that the floor ground level um, in Europe, they call it level zero, um, because the first three floors where you go up, you enter, that's floor one, but floor zero, those were two large, large sized halls that were filled with either sessions um, like individual rooms for sessions or on the other side was all of the uh, pharmacy representatives. Um, there were also space, you know, for, for food, for chatting, for uh, meetings. So you just really, you walk in and you're just taken back by the size of everything. And one of the things I noticed is when I had gone to the American College of Rheumatology, I found that people kept to themselves, voices were reasonably quiet, and um, that was very much so the opposite. 
People were so warm, so excited to see their colleagues they haven't seen for three, four years because of the pandemic. There were you know, heated debates, or there were more friendly conversations that probably had nothing to do with rheumatology, but walking past those and feeling that energy and really thousands of people was was really incredible. Um, just from the perspective of what did, where am I, right? Yeah. I had this out of body sensation. And, and then the conference itself was just huge and huge in, in terms of, you know, the room's really big and, you know, there are a lot of presentations going on, but really when you think about research, I'm, I'm focused on a very specific area of research, a huge in terms of the, the breadth of research. There were presentations about a specific gene. There were presentations about a specific pathway of a protein. Right? There were presentations about this specific device that we're going to use one day to track maybe one of those proteins or one of those genes, things that are so far removed from the clinical and the translational research that I did. But it made me realize that you know, research really is this pipeline. It's, it starts truly in a Petri dish or really it starts with an idea in someone's head. And then it goes through these stages of testing and it moves through so, okay, can we try it in a human? Or maybe before that, try it in a rat or some sort of animal. Right. Can we try it in a human and then implement it in the real world. Um, so getting to see the pipeline of research um, was really eye-opening. And it reminded me, that I'm just one small speck, one small mechanism in this entire process. Indeed. I think when you when you talk about that, that mass of people I often compare it to being in a, a really, really large airport where you have thousands of people in a small enclosed space, and each one of them is racing off to a different gate. And in this case, they're racing off to either a meeting or a conference room to attend a, uh, a presentation. And uh, that kind of frenetic energy is, is really quite something to experience. And I think the other thing you touched upon is the the diversity of people not just in terms of their backgrounds and and what they practice but um you are always strikes me as being so international and i don't know if you had a chance to talk to many colleagues from other parts of the world but it's certainly not just a european and north american conference um ular has a really healthy representation from uh africa the middle east asia um, I'm wondering if you had a chance to, to meet anybody from some of those countries. Yeah, it, it is, like you said, Kelly, it is so diverse and really welcoming. I didn't have that um, impression of anyone was here to, you know, critique or judge. A lot of people were really interested in your work and they had nothing, right? Like they, they are basic scientists. They have nothing to do with your research, but genuinely interested to, to learn. Um, but yeah, you you definitely saw representation from around the world. You saw representation of different age groups. You saw representation between patients and delegates and research trainees and researchers, you know, individuals who represent pharmacy companies, doctors, right? And doctors like specialists who you don't think would have a connection to rheumatology are even roped in there. And you're like, that's interesting, right? So what we think of as the rheumatology community 
is a lot broader um, in a sense. And yeah, you really walked in there and we're like, wow, this is the rheumatology community. Not what we, we think of, right, as researchers, trainees. Just to move briefly from the academic to a more personal level, uh, I know, Ellen, you shared um, with uh, with your ACE team members um, that sort of personal journey you happened to take, um, one of those paths you took uh, at the conference um, related to your own experience living with arthritis. I wonder if you want to share yes. um, a few of the insights from that experience. Kelly, I'd be honored. And I, I think this takes me back to conversation I had previously when I interviewed Christina Montoya. And we had bonded because um, Christina, or an uh, arthritis dietitian, as she's known on social media, we both share the same condition, which is a condition called Sjogren's. And out of the arthritic conditions, this one is unique in a sense where it attacks the uh, salivary and um, fluid producing glands of the body. It's really broad. So what I'm, I'm gonna say, it produces anything I mean, sorry, text anything that produces some sort of liquid in your body. That liquid can be saliva, it can be tears, it can be the fluid within your joints, but it attacks all of that. So I have a little bit of dry eye, I have a lot of dry mouth, I have a little bit of uh, joint pain. Uh, really, for me, it's a lot of joint stiffness in the morning. That's how it manifests for me. And I have to say the symptom that I find the hardest to deal with is actually digestive issues. Because of the dry mouth, I don't have a lot of salivary production. And because of that, I don't eat dry foods. Like bread's really hard to eat, crackers is really hard to eat. I never eat chips. Like I can't eat those things. It like actually makes me feel sick after. And I was, you know, the first time I had a proper conversation with another patient and that what happened to be Christina, she spoke to me and echoed and finally reflected back that she had those exact same symptoms. And I was like, okay, I'm not crazy because everyone's telling me I'm supposed to have dry and dry mouth. And I do, but those are not the uh, symptoms that impair, I would say, my daily living. And as we see the research evolve, right? Chogwins is very much so a rare condition. And now we realize it's so much more prevalent than we think it is. And um, the, the issue is, if you only have dry eye or dry mouth, you may, you know, it can be assumed it's either a symptom of another condition or it's just dry mouth, which is also termed sicka. So, you know, is it simply dry mouth or is it a symptom of another condition we don't know? Or is it showruns as its own arthritic condition? So it's, it's just one of those diseases that's really, really broad. Manifestations are very unique. And then the, the session that I got to sit in on was um, there's actually no drugs right now. There are no drugs to treat showruns. So I just deal with it and everyone else who has this condition just deals with it. And I'm, I'm very lucky that I do um, engage in certain self-management activities. I have a really great orthodontist. I have a really great ophthalmologist who helps manage my symptoms. But for those 
who have really severe symptoms, it's really hard. So there's two drugs that have been tested. One of them is moving on to stage three or phase three of clinical trials, which is um, the large randomized control trial where you take the, in this case, um, the drug and you administer it to one group, which is the active group or the intervention group. And then you have a group of individuals that act as the control. And at the end of the study, so however many months later, whether that's six months or a year, then you test both groups again to see if there's any differences. Because at baseline, there should be, they should be roughly the same. So it's very exciting news that there is perhaps one drug that will be carried forward um, to that final stage. Because up to now, there's been about four or five drugs that made it to what we call phase two, which is a small size randomized control trial, and they have failed at that point. So this is really exciting news for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, there's also more research. For example, I got to go to a poster session and there was two Sjogren's features. One of them was on exactly that, the digestive um, symptoms experienced by many people with Sjogren's. Um, and the other was about um, the dry mouth aspect as well. So I'm glad to see the representation of research. Absolutely. I think, you know, Sjogren's, it's one of those types of inflammatory arthritis whose patients that live with it, I think some often feel not seen or heard. And I think that's basically what you've expressed to us today. And because of that, one of the, the real challenges, and I'm also thinking of, a, of an example like um, ankylosing spondylitis and how difficult it is to get a, a diagnosis for that, just like you were describing for Sjogren's. Um, it is, I, I, I can see on a personal level, uh, the, the the empowering feeling that to be around people whose job it is to try and crack this this code and who are thinking about people like you every day of their professional lives and certainly from a treatment point of view you know we're seeing the same kind of activity around lupus right now they're getting closer and closer to some new um effective drugs for, for lupus. And we're seeing the same thing on the horizon for Sjogren. So that is something exciting and something obviously ACE is going to continue to monitor very closely. Um, we'll have some links if people have questions about Sjogren's at the end of this as well that um, we can point them to. There is a Sjogren's uh, patient uh, organization in Canada. We'll provide that link as well. Um, and we have quite a bit of information uh, on our ACE website. Um, thanks for sharing that personal yeah. part of your experience. Um, again, very powerful. Um, before we left for you, Lar, we were able to talk about um, the abstract uh, presentation. So certainly um, what we're about to talk about is maybe familiar with some of our um, viewers and listeners. Uh, if not, we'll provide a link um, that has the presentation on it. I don't so much I'm not, I'm not gonna be asking you so much about the content because we have talked about that. I think I'm really interested in terms of, again, what was that experience like being on stage, lights, camera, action? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you walk into this huge room, right? Like, I, I kid you not, there are probably 300, 400 seats, like rows on rows of seats. And you, I, I arrived a little bit early to uh, actually like go through my slides because prior to uh, actually attending in person, you send your slides and you hope, hopefully someone gets them and loads them up properly. So <laughs> the slides, sat down and then I got to watch three sessions go before me. Right. I was, we were technically allotted to the health literacy section, um, but really it was health literacy and health inequities session. And uh, we had small class speakers go ahead of us. These individuals, uh, you know, were absolute, they, they are on the cutting edge of research in terms of, in this case, uh, Richard Osborne, um, his work is absolutely incredible in health literacy. He is has headed and spearheaded and continues to spearhead the creation of a lot of health literacy measures. You know, he's advocated for um, health literacy, not just being the understanding of information, but the understanding of health information, the knowledge and skills to act, and then what support can we provide to continue the momentum of action, right? So he's really, really taken this um, very, what, what researchers had studied as a very single dimensional concept and expanded it. I uh, would highly recommend uh, that you look at his work. We'll also link that below. Very, mm -hmm. very interesting because his model of health literacy is, um, we put it all on the patient. You have to, as a patient, be literate, but really health literacy is about meeting in the middle. How do we, you know, provide information? How do we make it interesting and engaging? And then how do we support an individual to continue to make those right choices with the information that they have? Lot to think about, right? As we completely shift. Um, and then I was closer, a little bit closer to the end. I had about, I believe I had about the 10 minute piece. So not, you know, good chunk of time. They asked us to keep the presentations at about seven minutes. So got on stage, took a little breather and then gave my presentation. And that was the, the mind blowing moment that I had. Um, and then I got some really interesting questions. So for example, yeah. Just before you go to the questions, again, if people um, didn't see the episode about the abstract, maybe I want, I'm not going to give you seven minutes, but maybe in a minute or so, you could just summarize um, what that presentation was about. Uh, absolutely. So uh, ACE had conducted a survey. This is about a year ago, so the summer of 2022. And what we did was we asked the question, do you experience health inequities? Health inequities being very broad, so we broke them down into access to care. Can you get to a doctor? Do you have a doctor? How hard is it for you to get to a doctor? And then we asked about the interaction. How is that interaction? Is it clear? Do you have difficulties with communication? Do you feel like you're being heard? And then in terms of health outcomes, and then we also looked at discrimination, et cetera. And what we had found was that, okay, there are a lot of gaps <laughs> in Canada. In, you know, we, you know, all in all, we have an incredible care system. But we see that it's not incredible for everyone. There are specific groups that we really, really need to focus on. 
So that's what the uh, presentation aimed to highlight. The differences in access to interactions with and benefit from healthcare, when we look specifically at women that were Black, Indigenous, or person of color, so BIPOC women, that was the subgroup. So, right, we looked at the analysis of everyone, and then we pulled one of the groups, and we looked at them and compared them to everyone else. And um, you mentioned that there were, there wasn't time, after each presentation, there was time for like one or two questions. You did have a couple of questions. I did, yeah. So one of the really interesting questions I got is, so for example, I did mention in the study that, you know, we looked at BIPOC women. That said, I actively acknowledge that we excluded or we did not talk about individuals who identify as sex or gender minorities, right? When we were doing comparison. So if we were talking about BIPOC women versus white women, or if we were talking about women versus men, I did not acknowledge that group. And one individual could raise their hand and stood up and ask, have you thought about looking at BIPOC individuals who identify as being part of a sex and gender minority in arthritis care specifically? And I said, no, and we likely don't have enough of that sample mm -hmm. to make a broad generalization, but is that a research question worth investigating on its own or multiple research questions within that? Absolutely, I Absolutely. think that's the point, right? So the best part or the most worthwhile thing about this, this study is not that we discovered something new. If you look at our findings, they're not novel, but they are novel in a sense where we highlighted these perspectives in such a large, such a broad sample of all across Canada, of Indigenous peoples, of Black, of person of color. And we also really tried to point out where we can generate more research questions, right? Sometimes the best part of doing research is not answering the question, but is to refine your question and be able to ask even more specific, even more worthwhile, even more meaningful questions in future. And that being one of them. So if anyone's listening, you want to do research in that area, there you go. Um, thank you, Ellen, for, for sharing that and your overall experience. You, uh, you represented ACE extremely well. You represented Canada extremely well. And um, thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing the experience. Uh, sounds like there's going to be quite a few links for you viewers um, at the end of this. So do look out for those. Ellen, thanks for taking time off on your summer day that I know is very busy with your school and working with ACE. So thank you for sharing some time with us. And of course, to our viewers, we hope you're having a great day today and hope to see you again soon on the next episode of Earth Rice at Home. Goodbye. Thank you, everyone. Take care.